Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Crowning Around, a podcast where three regular everyday peasants attempt to learn about the royal family through their depictions on film and television. My name is Sam Chung, and today we will be diving into The Crown Season 5, Episode 8, entitled Gunpowder, and this episode gave us literal fireworks, so I'm very excited to dive into it. Joining me, as always, are my two co-hosts. First, some might call this man our podcast's auntie. It's Ivan Vukovic. Ivan, does auntie truly know best? Uh, in the context of podcasting, your your aunt is probably like the worst authority. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> also back with us today, uh, a woman who just wants to watch the BBC. It's Carlin Greenwald. Carlin, what is your favorite BBC program? See, Ooh. I don't, I don't know if I watch the BBC, so. I would have to get like programs named to me as things you can watch on the BBC. Oh, it was Killing Eve on the BBC originally. I can say that. Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay. Kill- Killing Eve is my favorite BBC programming. Sherlock? Was I Sherlock did watch BBC? Sherlock. I never finished Sherlock. <laughs> is I like was three seasons in and then for some reason I just stopped. Interesting. Was Was Luther BBC? I don't know. Was it? I don't know. I, I'm looking all of this up in real time, but you, you're, you're moving too fast. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. Ivan, do you have a favorite BBC program? That's a good question. Um, and why? Well, and also, I, why I is it I mean, King Charles the <laughs> Third? <laughs> uh, no, I'm trying to think. Uh, well, I, I think like I mean, I've watched a lot of BBC programs over the years, but I think the one that probably goes back all the way to my childhood that like I have such fond memories of are all uh, the old uh, like Mr. Bean episodes. Yeah, Mr. Bean oh, is a classic. You love Mr. Bean. I don't know how they hold up today, but like I remember as a kid being obsessed with Mr. Bean and then, you know, later on in adult life learning that it was a BBC production and thinking like, oh yeah, well, I'm uh, consider me a brand loyalist. That was, uh, I'm sure that one was commissioned by Her Majesty herself. <laughs> absolutely using the royal charter she's like please give us more mr bean <laughs> um all right as always before we dive into the podcast we just want to disclaim that if you came here for any sort of factual clarity about the crown the royal family the bbc you came to the wrong place because we don't know and uh you know we're just three regular everyday peasants as i said just trying to learn about this situation and uh, we're just going to go from there. So to get things kicked off, Carlin, could you please give us a recap of Season 5, Episode 8, Gunpowder? Okay, so we got a couple plot lines going on here. First, we meet Dookie, who is the chair of the BBC. And he is currently celebrating with the network or the channel. What are they? Whatever they are. I'm going to go with network. <laughs> the network, like they celebrated getting another 10 years guaranteed sort of with the royal family. Like they get a, a new royal charter. It was like this man, this man's like life work. He really wants to continue to work with the royal family and continue on sort of this more conservative course to not change their core values and become like other broadcasting channels that are rapidly sort of, let's say, modernizing. Doesn't want to do that. So meanwhile, Prince William, uh, who now I guess visits um, his grandmother quite often, was saying, decided, <laughs> tells uh, Liz that she needs to get a satellite TV because they have an old TV that doesn't play anything but nature programming. And Liz is like, I don't want to betray the BBC by getting more channels. But ultimately, William convinces her, like, you got to do this. So she does. 
And our next plot line, we have Diana, who is continuing to date Dr. Khan, and also the interview with the BBC and with Martin Bashir is coming up rapidly, and she decides to tell them, let's record in the palace, but we're going to do it on Guy Fawkes night, which she thinks that because there's a bunch of fireworks and a bunch of fanfare, that no one would be around to notice that she is conducting this interview. And so basically, that plan is put in place, but... Bashir comes into a couple roadblocks when more people at the BBC sort of get wind of what he's doing and he has to go through sort of more bureaucratic like approvals. So basically he gets the second in command. He talks to the second in command. I think his name is like John. He has a generic name. I probably got that wrong, but the second in command at the BBC. And he's like, I'm gonna like, I'm nervous about this. I don't think Dookie will like it. Like he will definitely not approve this, but I'm going to let you do this program anyway. So... It keeps going forward at a very cautious pace. Diana tries to pull out at the last second, thinking that she's going to be, you know, branded as a traitor, like this is just going to be too much. But Bashir convinces her that like she needs to do this. He he keeps going with his lies about uh this, you know, the uh, the spies getting to her brother or whoever is supposed to be uh getting to her brother. So, she does agree to give the interview. It goes off while again on Guy Fox night. And she basically asks for sort of a grace period to tell the queen what's going to happen before it airs. So she does tell Elizabeth about what <laughs> what she's doing. And Elizabeth is sort of like coldly angry about it. She keeps insisting that like Diane has had opportunities to keep coming forward and talking to the people who are directly involved. Like don't go to, you know, don't air this dirty laundry out to the public. She keeps saying that she's firmly team Diana. Like especially Elizabeth has always been on her side. But, you know, the, the wheels on the train, they're, they're going. We're, we're going forward. And so the program does air. And we sort of learn that it is a very scathing program uh, in which the affair with uh, Charles and Camilla has now been aired to the public. Thanks, Carlin. Um, yeah, I feel like now, finally, with this kind of like two-part episode that we got here with uh, you know, last week's episode, No Woman's Land, and then continuing on to this episode, Gunpowder, we're finally getting some momentum <laughs> into season five. There's finally like something that has consistently led us through. But even still, we brought up another metaphor for how old Queen Elizabeth is. So it's like one step, well, maybe it's like two steps forward, one step back <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, it, it was such an eye-rolling moment because you had an entire episode that was built around having uh, like a uh, an object or rather like a vessel piece of technology be a metaphor for her reign. And now apparently it's no longer the Britannia. It's just an old television set. And she says it. She literally says the TV is a metaphor. Like, yeah. why? There's, there's no subtext in this show anymore. <laughs> why? Yeah, no subtlety at all. It could have just literally been, I think it's kind of cute, like the idea that like, oh, Queen Elizabeth, just like us, like we have to teach our grandparents to get more modern TVs. Oh my God. But like, <laughs> they couldn't just let it be a nice moment. They, they had to comment on it. Yeah, we, we've made a lot of, uh, you know, predictions of late of what we think is going to happen on the show and, and who's going to show up. Uh, I did not have Shaggy or Beavis and Butthead like as part of my <laughs> like bets like that totally threw me off guard. That was fun, though. Just flipping through channels. What I don't. So, OK, so Queen Elizabeth is like, we can't get satellite TV. It'll be a betrayal. And I think betrayal uh, is one of the big themes of the episode, but uh, 
Who's gonna know? <laughs> like, uh, who's gonna who see the dish on the top of the palaces? Isn't that Which why like, you build looking? tall walls on the outside of your palace so no one can see what's inside? It's true. Just put it in the center of the palace and so no one can see it unless they're in like an airplane. Yeah, who's going to know? Also, based on the old television says she had, like, it, wouldn't just satellite TV be a more reliable way for, for her to even get the BBC at this point? I mean, yeah, it seems like her, you're right, her betrayals and she can't even watch the BBC because she won't get a new TV. I know. I did. I did appreciate the scene where William is trying to fix the TV, and she's like, "Aren't you supposed to know this?" And he's like, "This is ancient technology, Grandma." <laughs> I mean, look, as someone who my grandparents also still have some '80s TVs. I mean, like, I can work them, but you're like, "Why? Why do you still have a fax in your house?" I don't know. Wait, wait. Okay, so hold on. Now I'm curious. So these '80s TVs that your grandparents have, like, how do they get a signal? Like, are they using just like an Xfinity box with a coax or well, not well, even in, that? In this case, this is one TV in like their spare room. It's like really big. It was, you know, they think like, oh, let's get the giant. So it's a giant box. And right. all I can do with it is plug in a GameCube that they also have. So I don't even oh. know if it gets channels. It probably gets like, you know, the first three channels and then it doesn't do anything. It goes to static. It goes to static. It goes to static. Until I can plug in my my GameCube. That's oh, it. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh, okay. I'm trying to think of what their main TV is because they have like one updated one. I think they have one other old one. And they have a bunch of VCRs. Like they just have a bunch of VCRs that are not used, but they have them. Interesting. But no DVD players or Blu-rays? I think they might have a DVD player. They do not have a Blu-ray player. They have a whole collection of VHSs that I just, I keep taking from because they never watched them. So I'm like, oh, vintage decor. So I took their, um, I took their Jurassic Park. Wait, you, you took their, v- <laughs> you took VHSs from somebody who has the capacity to view them and you took them for yourself just as decor? Yeah. Well, I'll get the VHSs eventually, but I can't get that until they actually give it to me. wonder if they'll release the crown on VHS. Please. Um, it's interesting, I think, seeing this debate play out uh, over kind of like broadcast television uh, versus cable when, you know, we've already kind of jumped to the next iteration of that with cable versus streaming. It's true. And I can only imagine. I, I, would, I would say streaming versus TikTok. Yeah, that's fair, too. <laughs> uh, I can only imagine how Marmaduke Hussey feels about Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Which is a, a crazy name. And this is a family that I feel like they introduced this family as like someone that we should know. They were like, oh, it's Sue's birthday. I was like, who is Sue? <laughs> who is this woman? It's really true. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know Elizabeth had friends. She never hangs out with any of these people. Yeah, like. I thought it was just Porchy. I know. She had one friend. What do you mean she has more? Yeah, they introduced Sue as uh, Liz's like foremost or first lady-in-waiting or something. What does that mean? What is a lady-in-waiting? Isn't that like your top servant? I so feel like they had servant. more to do back in the ancient <laughs> days. Is it now just a symbolic position? Why have we never heard of this person before? I assume it's like having your like private maid. No, probably not that. What would you do? You're right. What do you do? Yeah, I don't know. Is it just like the people of your court, except, you know, in the modern world, they don't really serve much of a function? Um, yeah, I don't know. Oh, she's like a courtesan. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, 
unfortunately that's not what she's for um i don't know well because it's like i does she put out dresses i don't know she just know. lays out dresses <laughs> well think about it like what I, I can only think of this show and game of thrones but like on game of thrones the ladies in waiting had more things to do I, i'm guessing they're just like you know members of noble families that are in the innermost inner circle before you get to the point of actually being in the family. Yeah, I guess so. You're like hired best friend. Okay, but so Sue is married to Dookie and Sue is Sue notices that Liz is feeling a little bit down. Why is she feeling down? Because her TV is broken. What can Marmaduke Hussey do about it? He can create a special program honoring her did they say her 70th birthday? Yeah. Her 70th birthday be, is coming up. They, now I realize why there are so many, like, you know, Queen Elizabeth programs or, like, Queen Mother programs. <laughs> or, like, you can just go on, like, Netflix or whatever and just find, like, five. And now I get why. Because <laughs> Marmaduke wanted a bunch of these. Every time the queen was sad, he just made a new one. I wonder if he was responsible for Luther. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Speaking of Queen Mother, her one appearance in this episode made me so mad because, again, just a different version of Queen, like different woman than we've seen the past two generations. Oh, that's funny because this one made perfect sense to me because every time we saw her, even back to when she was probably like 40, was she was watching the Penguin program on the BBC to like, so to me, she of course wants better quality Penguin programming. She can't see it clearly on her TV anymore. But I, I think I get what Sam is trying to it's say. The because reaction I think to said the last <laughs> time, yeah, the last time we saw the Queen Mother, she was what going on like a tirade about Elizabeth not expressing her opinions and not doing the the Annis Horribilis speech. And now it's like what two, three years later, and she's just been completely relegated to couch potato. But see, those are her two modes. See, to me, this makes perfect sense. She's either telling Elizabeth to do some archaic thing because of tradition, or she's sitting on the couch watching BBC programming. So I, soap I'm okay with I'm okay with this. Oh, yeah. So she's expanded to soap operas. Maybe we never saw the soap operas because she would only ever watch the Penguin program. But yeah, I don't know. Very <laughs> developed character here, guys. Not at all. Um, okay, so William is actually <laughs> the one who is like, Grandma, you should get satellite television. And she's like very not on board until William is like, you can get the horse racing channel. <laughs> and that that's what sells her. So William, you know, if uh, this whole monarchy thing doesn't work out, he could be a good salesman. He could. Okay, so we also in this storyline cut back to Martin Bashir, who I like even less <laughs> the more I learn about him. I thought that he was going to get found out so much throughout this episode and exposed for what I still feel to be unethical journalism. But nope, it's kind of thrown out there. And the big detective of it all turns out to be Charles Spencer, who took notes. It, does, it doesn't pay off. Like, ultimate ending for me, Martin Bashir loses his job, <laughs> gets exposed. Like, I don't know. It just feels so shady. I mean, I wonder when this all actually got exposed, if it wasn't now. Because obviously, think was, I think it was just within the past couple of years. Wow. Long con. In fact, I think we, uh, uh, in a recent episode, we, or it must have been last week, we, uh, you know, noted that uh, this actor actually already previously played mm -hmm. Martin Bashir in the, the, 
Diana movie with uh, Naomi Watts, which I think we're going to be talking about uh, during our our in-between season. And uh, I mean, I haven't seen the movie, but my guess is that that depiction of Martin Bashir will not include any of this like duplicitous stuff that he's been doing. But Martin Bashir does run into a couple roadblocks and uh, it's just bureaucracy (laughs) is is mainly the roadblock. His boss is like, you know, we should probably tell our boss that we're doing this or I guess his boss. And Martin Bashir is like, no, how can you tell your boss (laughs) that we're doing something? And uh, we meet John Burt. Oh, and, John. Good. Yeah, his name is New John. New favorite character. John. Okay, Ivan, why is John Burt your favorite new character? BBC Director General John Burt. I mean, <laughs> what's not to like about the guy? He's pragmatic. He is very level-headed. He wants to, you know, move the BBC forward, but still kind of respects a lot of the institutions and traditions. He doesn't like sensationalism, like... We have yet to meet such a level-headed character on the crown in a very long time. Dookie really resents John Burt. He, uh, so he says that uh, he, is, he should be given the credit for renegotiating this 10-year contract with uh, the Royal Charter. But John Burt, a man who, who just reeks of American business school, will get all the credit... <laughs> In his Armani suits. <laughs> a man who, wait, I just realized, a man who, if I'm getting the timing correct, is responsible for those Mr. Bean episodes that I loved as a child. <laughs> oh, so you, we now get why you love this man so much. Ooh, yeah. I, I don't think I, I, I connected it until this moment. It was an unconscious connection. I was just like, yeah, this guy must have been doing a bang up job, like running the BBC in the 90s. Oh, wait, that was the golden era. <laughs> Uh, the goals of the BBC are to first inform, to educate, three entertain, and those are, of course, the order of operations that I think of when I think of Mister Bean. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's the reverse order, I would say. God. Oh my God. Um. But yeah, John Burt is really kind of placed in this interesting position of um. He's kind of in charge of the programming, so. Dookie is the chairman. He is the head of programming. So when Dookie comes to him and is like, uh, you know, I have a programming uh, request that I never ask for, John Burt is the one who ultimately is going to have a say into, okay, well, this is what we can do or or not. And he ultimately decides after a very long deliberation on the beach that he's going to go forward with the Diana documentary you know what, maybe it's just the world that we live in, but I was like, is this really a choice? Like, I can't imagine anybody ever today withholding something with this much firepower. Well, well, no, 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 no. And this is one of the reasons that I really respect this guy is because I think he realized that, like, this would be an emotionally charged interview that would probably be very one-sided. And it's essentially, you know, giving one person a platform without hearing the opposing argument, which is probably a little uh, too, you know, to access Hollywood for the BBC's tastes. Even still, though, like in the context of the, the stuff that we see on TV today with just like interviews with, I, I, I don't know, whether it's like AG Barr or like, you know, just anybody like, I feel like Sam, the, the idea Sam, of, like, withholding Sam, an interview. Sam, yeah. this is the British 
Broadcasting Corporation. <laughs> this is this is Auntie Biebs. This is 1995. It, it was a different world. Totally. Yeah. I'm just try, I'm just the different the getting back into that headspace is just it's it's an interesting you know thought experiment. This is not the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery. I mean, I think the interesting part though is that they regarded it as something that was sort of more frivolous. But it's now regarded as something that does feel like this heavyweight journalism. Like, I do think it's kind of funny that Bashir did ultimately hit it right. Like, that's how, like, the public viewed it. It's, it's, it's probably aged extremely well. Because, like, I think at the time it was probably regarded as something that was a little sensational and tabloidy. But, you know, it, it, with the benefit of retrospect, you see that this was like a pivotal snapshot into the mind of an integral member of the royal family who had experienced and witnessed things that the public is not generally privy to. Yeah. And the, the interesting thing is, to your point, that's how people – there are a lot of people who view the Harry and Meghan stuff as – tabloid silliness yep which is funny that like we just keep repeating this (laughs) yeah but i mean in fairness diana didn't like you know strike a spotify deal to host a podcast Uh, yeah i guess that's true um to take it a step back a little bit so diana has some doubts about uh getting this or doing this interview because of the concerns that her brother brings up to her uh including the fact that in his first meeting with martin bashir he says that MI5 might be listening, but in his second meeting, he says that it's probably MI6. So there's some inconsistencies. <laughs> What's the difference? I think MI6 for the longest time was like the more clandestine one. Hmm. Yeah, I believe Do so. Do we have two CIAs or is this just like the British, they have us, they have, wait, they have more? I'm probably going to draw such a misinformed parallel right now, but I'm guessing <laughs> like the, the MI5 is to the CIA as like MI6 is to like the NSA. That, okay. I, I'm, I'll, I'm I'll probably wrong. I'm probably wrong, but in my mind, that's how it works. Okay. Um, in response, Martin Bashir is like two things. One, your brother has been corrupted. <laughs> <laughs> Diana. <laughs> they got <Please>. to him. <laughs> I don't even remember what the second thing was because that was so wild. Like, Wasn't what a move. Like, like, way to double down. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like he was just like, you have to do this. This is what Guy Fox hesitated to. You can't do that. And then we got a whole history lesson. They really want us to know who Guy Fox is. Yeah. Which, like, granted, I didn't really know who he was. So, thanks. So, so William's, like, uh, classroom scene uh, was of benefit to you? Yeah, although, like, it felt like that guy was really slow in his lecture. And, like, if I was a child, <laughs> I'd be like, get to the point. Is V for Vendetta going to make our, neck, our list as well? <laughs> oh, my God. I, I think at this point, like, uh, Beavis and Butthead probably has, like, equal <laughs> merit. <laughs> All right, but uh, yeah, they go, they decide, okay, Diana's going to go through with the interview. It's going to be at Kensington. Why they chose uh, Guy Fox night, a night where f- multiple fireworks are going on in the background. <laughs> Terrible idea for your sound quality. But uh, apparently they can't let anybody on the grounds know that they are from the BBC. So they come in in their red us jumpsuits and they're like, we're here to deliver your hi-fi audio equipment. I just found that to be a little bit bizarre. Wasn't this like a Saturday or Sunday evening? Yeah, probably. So like yeah. who who delivers like <laughs> AV equipment late at night 
Oh, for the queen, if she needs it on Saturday, she's getting no. it on Saturday. No, this this wasn't Buckingham. This was Kensington. Uh, maybe she's putting them in. She's putting satellite TVs in all her places. Okay, but uh, we don't actually. So we see them start the interview, but they cut out the audio. Did you like this choice? No. What if I hadn't already <laughs> listened to this interview? I wouldn't know what she said. <laughs> I mean, you I mean, got we, the we pieces get snippets of it, of it later. later. Little, I think the whatever. Which, by the way, can we talk about that scene? Where the just, interview is spliced together with like that performance that Elizabeth and Philip are well, attending. Well, 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 I think first, <laughs> before we see the interview, we get Diana talking to Liz about the interview. So I think mm-hmm. we should talk about that first, and then we can go to the interview. Um, so All Diana- right. <laughs> so Diana goes to the queen. Very uh, a bold move here. She's like, uh, yeah, I did that. <laughs> Well, I, I get what she was doing. Like, if she didn't admit to it, that's a lot worse than being like, hey, like, it's almost like apologizing for it as opposed to not. It kind of felt like an apology. I, I, I did like the moment where uh, Elizabeth was like, why didn't you just come talk to me about this? And and Diana was like, I tried like a million times and you, you left me on red. And Elizabeth's like, I understand that, you know, making appointments can be a challenge sometimes. <laughs> She's so gaslighty. I feel like you would just go insane if you're not like the favorite of Elizabeth. The weird thing is, though, like, I feel like Elizabeth believes what she's saying. I think that in her head, she what she's saying about, like, the fact that she's never disliked Diana. Like, I feel like she believes that even though we've seen her actions speak otherwise. Like, she believes that that is true. I Yeah, I think so. I think she's not a particularly, like... Gossip. I don't know. Like you know, there's levels of being gossipy, and she doesn't feel like she gets pleasure out of being gossipy. It's just sort of like, here's my team. <laughs> this is our strength and weakness. This player's going off the rails a little bit, but I'll get him back. I mean, I, I, I I'm not sure. I 100% agree. I feel like we have seen Elizabeth snap at Charles and Diana, and also you know speak of them as just sort of like misbehaving children that need to be put on a leash. Like I. I mean, it's also possible that that's just like how she is, like that she will, you know, talk shit about family members and scold them and, you know, be very critical of their actions while still being very like feeling a lot of affection for them. But it's hard to say. That's true. But I think Liz's point is that she's always done that in like her smaller circles. Like she would never have gone to the press and been Mm, like, you know, who's the worst? My daughter in law. Like, she's only ever done that with Margaret Thatcher, and that really backfired. (laughs) It's true. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like even with her marriage, like, you know, it's like she sees everyone as like a long game player. And it's like, you can dislike your long game players, but you can't get rid of them. So to some extent, like, you have to stay on their team in order for, like, the team to function in any slight capacity. Like, if she just started, yeah, yeah, if she just started openly saying how much she disliked anyone like you can't you can't keep them in if you do that yeah. i mean yeah will it work <laughs> who knows we'll i still find i find week. it interesting that uh diana still continues to call elizabeth mama <laughs> well, i think i don't my so my take on that is that she really like didn't want all this to fall apart and i think there's a part of her that's still just like almost like scared little kid kind of thing where it's like i still really wish that like we could have had an actual like mother-daughter relationship. Didn't happen. Like I don't see it as something that like she's doing to manipulate her. Okay, so this interview will be released on the 20th 
That is Elizabeth's 48th wedding anniversary, and Elizabeth will not be watching. <laughs> It'd be surprising if she was watching. That'd be bad if she did watch instead of do her anniversary. At that point, it does feel a little bit like a programming decision. Like, okay, they recorded it, and Dookie is like, we need something to commemorate the queen. And John Burt is like, you know how I can really dig the knife in? I'll do this on her anniversary. Oh, my God. The interview itself. We get uh, the classic crown thing to do, the interview, uh, and people's reactions <laughs> interspersed throughout said interview. Uh, we got some fun ones. I think my favorite was probably Charles. Uh, but uh, Ivan, you, you, you have some strong feelings about this. Uh, yeah, so, you know, the interview was like spliced with a bunch of reactions, but also of Elizabeth and Philip, you know, attending a concert uh, in honor of their wedding anniversary where, I mean, the, the title of the song escapes me right now. Uh, one Night Only. Like, one Night <laughs> Only. And it was the just most laughably bad attempt at a dramatic effect that I've seen the show like endeavor to do like it just the the tone just did not fit like the the scene would have had so much more weight to it if it was just the interview and just some b-roll reactions of the other characters and maybe you know obviously like throw in some of the outbursts from Charles and such but the one night only thing was just laughably bad yeah, I don't know why they can't nail this like Come on, guys. No, that was like, it didn't feel like the scene was cohesive. Do we think a different song could have helped? Uh, instrumental. This was 1995, so Wonderwall. <laughs> Smells like teen spirit. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay, but uh, yeah, so some of the reactions that we get are, uh, I think first we see, I think first we see John Major. Is that right? Was John Major watching this? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Gotta gotta put him to use. Felt a little random. Doctor Khan is watching this, and he had a pretty interesting facial expression. I I couldn't really tell what he was thinking, but it seemed to me like he had a face that was like, "Oh shit, what am I a part of?" You know, she said she was a normal person, <laughs> and then you give a really big interview like that. It's like, oh, she is larger than life a little bit. Well, he didn't have a, like, that's my girlfriend face. <laughs> no, he did not. I think I think it was probably like a sense of, oh, she's not really moving on from this world. She still has like a lot of like hangups and grievances that she wants to air. And like, she's not kind of far uh, along enough in her journey to just kind of like move on and just have a quiet life with a normal like me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that checks out. Um, we get William watching. He's a serious thinker. We'll have to wait a few years to see how he feels about this. Poor kid. Can you imagine learning like all this trauma between your parents, like just on TV? Yeah, that's tough. Where's a Harry reaction? Where is Harry? No idea where Harry is. Asleep upstairs or at a just at boarding school? They didn't let him have a TV. All right, so we get Charles. Charles, uh, she's not sure if he can cope with, uh, you know, the limits that will be put on him when he is king. <laughs> He's mad and then he's crying. <laughs> it's so, I feel like it's kind of accurate, but that's such a low blow and it's really funny. Like she could have just made it about all the terrible things Charles has done, but then she's like, but in the future, guys, his one job, he can't do it. I mean, in fairness, Diana couldn't cope with the limits of being part of the royal family. It's yep. true. <laughs> just 
Oh man, the one thing Charles is like meant to do, just be like, he can't do it. <laughs> um, and Diana says she concludes at least what we see of the interview with uh, that she doesn't think she'll ever be queen. Crazy foreshadowing. <laughs> I mean, the funny thing is, from right here, you kind of know, like she, even if she had, you know, lived, she probably wouldn't have been queen. So, well, uh, yeah. So, like, explain to me, like, what was supposed to happen in a world where. Diana and Charles are, you know, separated and later divorced. Like, I assume once the divorce happened, like, there was no chance of her becoming queen. But, like, right now, did, was the entire world under the impression that they would just kind of, like, remain separated for a while and then maybe eventually reconcile and she would join him uh, by his side at the throne? I guess so. Yeah, that's probably what the world thought, wanted. That's probably what Elizabeth wanted before all these interviews. Probably. Doogie tries to resign and Liz won't let him. You know, uh, <laughs> everybody's afraid of Dookie and like, what will Dookie do? In the end, Dookie just kind of crumpled. <laughs> like, yeah. he didn't really do that much to stop what was going on or, you know, everybody's like, oh, you should really watch your step. But I don't know. John Burt was like, he called the bluff. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say like, you know. To some degree, I guess, like props to Dookie for just kind of like a, like recognizing how antiquated he is and out of touch and not really the right fit to, you know, lead public broadcasting forward in the direction that it's sort of inevitably headed toward. Um, yeah, I think we've seen a lot of people uh, throughout the show try to kind of hold on to positions of power and status, even though their, their kind is, uh, you know, going by the wayside so you know good for him for at least just being like yeah i i guess i'm just too out of touch peace out um so this episode is set against the backdrop of guy fox night referencing the plot of 1605 to murder the king the queen and the prince as they were in parliament it obviously failed but uh the context i guess is that uh guy fox is a traitor and so I guess the question is, is Diana a traitor? Is this treasonous? What, what, what is the takeaway here? Okay, here's my take. The, the royal family don't actually have any meaningful political power. So how can you commit treason against like figureheads? It's, I don't know. It's like committing, to me, it's kind of like committing treason against like slightly higher up, like, it, like at this point. They have so little power and it continues to decline. Every time someone betrays the royal family, it will get less and less treasonous until they become like little celebrities. And you can't commit treason against a celebrity. So I say no. <laughs> you can't commit treason against the celebrity. Okay. Just like a regular celebrity. You, it's only because they're royal that we would even call it treason. But it's like they, right. you know. But, but is, is anybody calling it treason? Or are we just trying to draw draw the Guy Fox parallel? I think here? that Peter Morgan is. Peter Morgan seems to be. Yeah, <laughs> I see. Okay. Well, my take is that uh, you know it's not treason because again, like like Carlin said, uh, you know the royal family doesn't have any true mechanical power that they're ever going to exert, um, and you know their entire existence is propped up by self importance. And, you know, to that effect, like 
Diana's entire interview is also propped up by self-importance because she felt the need that like this story needed to be told because the royal family is, you know, integral part of, uh, you know, the society of, of the of Great Britain and that her role in that uh, you know system is also integral and that's why she needed to for her story to be told like all of it just sort of like reeks of self-importance my take is it's only treason if you lose so (laughs) (laughs) i guess that's true (laughs) if you win it's not treason it's uh a revolution so (laughs) yeah like this entire the entire country of the united states is treason so who are we to talk but we won so <laughs> is it treason? No, it's a revolution. Well, here's my question. If like <laughs> someone betrayed a Kennedy right now, it wouldn't be treason, right? Because none of them are in politics. Would it have even been no, treason what? if a, they wait, had wait, wait, Kennedy wait, 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 in politics? Wait, betrayal in what form? Oh, I guess the same thing. If someone had like come out and like aired a bunch of dirt on the Kennedys. Hasn't that happened many times? Probably. <laughs> it has. Wow, we really care. But yeah, Joe Kennedy is uh, is in politics right now. Oh, he is. But like, yeah. we wouldn't call it treason. I'm trying to think of like if we have any, like the closest thing that we have to a royal family, which like we don't really have anything. Um, I keep thinking like... Like if somebody like, said something bad about Tom Hanks, like if Chet Hanks <laughs> went off and said like, hey, I had a bad childhood and I turned out this way because Colin was the favorite and I was just always cast aside. <laughs> Would that be treason? The big American families, the the Kardashians, maybe the, the Coppolas, um, the... Yeah, you're right. I guess uh, Hanks, sure. The Waltons. Waltons. (laughs) Ah, yeah. We don't have anything like this. No. Thank goodness for it. Yeah. No, I I feel like Americans would be really mad if they had to pay for a whole family. A couple other things to mention here. Most of them I think about Williams. So we get another William and Diana phone call, which just get increasingly awkward. (laughs) It's it's so weird. Like all of this is probably true, and like this is like a fuller picture of her as like a person, which is like a mess. But I feel like we're not getting enough of like the balance of um the good things she did. Like she's so far into maybe this is just her mess era, but they're really showing it. Yeah, she wants William to hear all about her special friend. <laughs> and mom, no. William is like, mom, stop, <laughs> please. And 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 William had like the completely appropriate reaction to that. It's just like, <laughs> why do you have to tell me about these things? Like, yeah. Diana, where are your friends? <laughs> Go back to your friends. They're not betraying you. Where's, where's the doctor guy? Where is her chef? Go tell her chef these things. But is that more awkward than the scene at the end of the episode where after Diana has given her interview, William decides he's going to go watch TV with grandma, but they can't be sitting any further apart from each other. She's on one couch. He's on another couch. I think they sit in silence for a good like 15 seconds. William just has no normal family members. But at the same time, he seems like the most well-adjusted one of them all. Yeah, yeah go figure. It's because he has his eaten little crew. He just has like this sort of like sad annoyance with the family. Um, at the end of the episode, Liz is struggling with the remote and they're flipping through the channels once again. And Liz is finally like, can we just watch the BBC? And it's just a choir. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is this like, uh, is this a statement about Queen Elizabeth? Like ultimately she'll try to change, but she'll always revert back to who she is. I mean, I guess like, cause again, there is no subtext in this episode. So whatever the most like surface level interpretation is, then it's probably the correct one. Yeah. That's what I get out of it. 
I wonder what William is like thinking because we haven't really gotten his perspective yet. And I feel like that's part of what I'm missing here because I feel like that could be an important part of the story, but they're really not diving into it yet. I wonder if, you know, a couple of years ago before, uh, you know, the queen passed away, if William was like still, you know, going over to Buckingham and being like, grandma, you don't have the motion smoothing turned off. <laughs> I, I like to think that that was happening. I like to think that they stayed close. Is watching the racing channel work? William says, you know, this is work. <laughs> watching the racing Elizabeth, channel yeah, on satellite. Like, this is a tax write-off. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay, anything else to uh, to call out here in Gunpowder? No, I think this is a pretty good... I, I do wish the episode had, like, there was... I feel like there's a disconnect between the point of views of part one and part two that didn't felt entirely necessary. Like, I felt like the BBC should have been like a B plot and Diana is an A plot to keep the emotional arc going that I felt like didn't really translate all the way. But whatever, that's just me. Welcome to season five. Yep. <laughs> whatever. At the same time, I, I, I see where you're coming from, but also like, I don't think there was, I just don't think there was enough of the Diana stuff to really make it stretch out for two episodes. Why would you stretch it out for two episodes when you can do it all in one night only? <laughs> for sure. Oh all right. Shall we pivot to our Kinky Crown Awards? Let's uh, do it. Okay. Carlin, what is your nominee for this week's Kinky Crown Award? So this one is kind of on the nose, but like whatever. So when the old ladies were all having their party, I guess it was Sue's birthday. And they were telling Liz because she was so like down the dumps. They're like, go perform some magic in the bedroom. Right. And I was like, all right. I guess they really. <laughs> cool. That's mine. Wait, wait, hold on. Hold on, though. Um, were they telling Liz to perform magic in the bedroom or was it like uh, uh, for Dookie's wife to perform magic in the bedroom oh. to get like the because wasn't it like to get the like the rights to like some horse race back? Oh, is that it? Whoever was told to do that, I thought it was pretty funny. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, the, the recipient of that suggestion is, is arbitrary here, but I, I just wanted to make sure I understood it correctly. Well, now I don't know. I thought it was for Liz, but maybe it was for Dookie's wife. Doesn't change the kink level, so we'll, we'll, we'll go with it. Okay. I thought it was for Liz also, because didn't they say, like, Philip is the one who decides? Like, is Philip in charge of the BBC somehow? <laughs> I guess so. Maybe he knows Dookie better. I don't know. But yeah, ITV paid five times as much as the BBC paid for that race. Wow. It's what put and ITV on the off. map. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's see. My nominee is kind of the whole situation about uh, John Burt arriving at uh, the hotel. He tells the concierge that he is meeting a friend in the Duchess of York suite. And then mm -hmm. when he gets up there, he tells Martin Bashir, look me in the eyes and tell me I'm not going to regret this. Oh, whoa. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it, it's definitely the magic in the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, and the only thing that happened that was kind of kinky was Khan saying that, like, he's covered in lipstick when he was trying to leave. No, but... I think it's the other one is Diana telling, telling uh, William about her special friend. Oh, yeah. Where, yeah, mommy might have made a new friend too. Oh my god! <laughs> See that I, I that that one I just recoil too much to find it kinky. <laughs> okay, so 
I think that is going to take us to a close here on The Crown Season 5, Episode 8, Gunpowder. Next week, we'll be diving into The Crown Season 5, Episode 9, the penultimate episode of this season that has just seemed to go on and on. That one is going to be called (laughs) Couple 31. The Princess of Wales contends with the repercussions of her statements. The Queen asks the Prime Minister for his help in a delicate family matter so we're getting down to the wire here and uh what have we learned um Uh, like uh, like in culmination with the season so far yes uh we learned that peter morgan probably should have stuck with his original plan of having seasons five and six be a single season yeah do you think maybe if he had known that the queen was going to pass away this year before he had started season five he might have done that. Mm, I I don't think that that's the thing that stops him, but I just like the pacing. I mean, we can, we can talk about this more after we've seen the last two episodes as well. But again, like there's this weird thing where I feel like maybe these episodes are being presented to us slightly out of order, but there isn't really a good order to tell them in. And so the pacing is just all over the place. But uh, yeah, I think what we've learned is that, uh, you know, not every season's going to be a winner. Womp did womp. uh did this episode need a uh should we have gotten a profile on Marmaduke Hussey similar to the Dodi Alfayette episode? Why no? Why did they do all the? Uh, I guess the Dodi episode. We could have gone. Good, we could have gone back to his time in a POW camp, getting oh his leg amputated. <laughs> oh, <it's> just so <laughs> they have to keep like upping the violence after the Romanov episode. That- I, if they did that and we got like a, a you know flashback to him decades ago, they still would have had like Amelda Staunton play the queen and just tried to like age her down thirty years. Yep. Oh my god. Um, okay, Ivan. If people want to catch up with you on the Crown, the royal family, etc., where can they do that? Uh, I mean, they can do Crown Around Pod. They can uh, you know hit me up at uh, you know Ivan Vukovic on Twitter. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you've got like a BBC iPlayer login to share with me, like I'd be down <laughs> with that. Reach out. Same. Uh, Carlin, what about you? Uh, Twitter at Carlin Greenwald, Instagram at Carlin underscore GE. All right. And you can find me on Twitter at Sir Sam Chung. But as Ivan mentioned, the best place to reach us, if you have any thoughts or comments is on Twitter at crown around pod. And that's all we got for you this week. Thank you all for listening. And we will see you next time. And God save the queen. God save God the queen. Save the queen.